Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, to all the moms, happy Mother's Day. Uh, we're, we're glad to celebrate moms. This morning, this morning, uh, we're continuing in our series called Life Application, and today, the life application's about worry, and I know that as a kid, when I was a kid, I gave my mother things to worry about. If we're honest, when we were kids, we probably all did. Uh, my mom, though, she took it pretty well. She really wasn't much of a worrier. Did nine children, seven boys, and uh, my grandma lived with us too, so it was a pretty full house. And you know, can imagine seven boys. We gave her things to worry about, but she was great about it. Uh, my mother was a trained nurse. She trained uh, under the U.S. government during World War II. So you know, that's that generation. Really, we could give her a lot to worry about, and it didn't really seem to affect her much. The story goes at my house, really you had to be bleeding from your head to get my mother's attention. Oh, we broke bones, we fell out of trees, we lit fires, crashed cars, but you know, she took it all in stride. So I'm grateful to God that I had a a mom who raised us up well and taught us that, you know, sometimes worry can't, be something that overtakes us. But there is one legendary story. It's grown to be a, a, a big legend in our family. And it's when some of my brothers were building what they called a tree fort. Uh, they couldn't call it a tree house. They were boys. It was a fort. And I, one of my brothers, I can't remember whether it was Brian or Jim or whatever, they dropped a hatchet out of the tree, fell on my brother John's head. And I think that got my mom's attention. Hey, Mom, John got hit in the head with an axe. So that's become legendary. Yeah, it might have rocked her world a little bit. John lived to tell about it. He's a little different now. No, he isn't. No, no, it's all. We're going to talk a little about worry today, but not not necessarily that kind of worry. Uh, Worry about what our children are doing. A, A little different context for the worry that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in. But as an introduction to that, I want to go back to the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles with you, be they paper, a device, uh, however you get to the Word of God, get open to Numbers chapter 15, and then put a bookmark, put your thumb, something on Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be near the end of Numbers 15 here as we begin. And I want to read you verses 32 to 36 just as way of introduction. Okay, it reads this way. While the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly. And they kept him in custody because it was not clear what 
should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death as the Lord commanded Moses. Now that is a hard passage to read. A man was executed for the crime of collecting wood. Well, at least it seems that way on the surface. There was a, the crime was not just collecting wood. Why the harsh, why the harsh punishment? Why was he executed? Well, when Moses was the leader of Israel, and he was up on Mount Sinai, and God gave him all his laws. In Exodus chapter 31, it describes the law of the Sabbath day. And that's the day of rest. And if the Sabbath was desecrated, or if someone didn't rest and went out to work, God said it's a capital crime. And Moses repeated it at the open of Exodus chapter 35. For six days you work, the seventh day is holy to the Lord. And if you don't observe it, you will die. So it was more than about just collecting wood. Moses even said in Exodus 35, don't even light a fire on the Sabbath day. Well, this guy was collecting wood, perhaps to light a fire, maybe to cook, maybe to heat his house or put a light in his house. And yet, it still seems like it's a small crime. And it wasn't really an offense against Moses or Aaron or anybody that was the leaders. But it was an offense, and it was offense against God. It was an offense against God Almighty, an offense that God considered on par with murder. The penalties were the same, stiff penalties. Hard, capital crimes. Because to God, the man collecting the wood was saying this, I really don't need you. I'm not gonna put my life into your hands. I'm not gonna trust you. I'm not even gonna trust you for 24 hours. No, I'm gonna go out and do what I need to do to take care of myself, because you won't. And the penalty that God ordered was carried out. I just want you to keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind as we now march forward in time from Mount Sinai to Jesus. Some 1,500 plus years had transpired. And Jesus is giving his sermon on the mount, and he challenges his audience to see the application of the word of God in their lives differently, drastically differently than what they had been taught by the leaders of the faith. Last week, we considered how Jesus had taught about accumulating treasures. Are the valuable things that we pile up and store up, are they the things of the world? Are they the things of this life? And Jesus said clearly, don't store them up. Rather, store up your treasures in heaven. Whatever you value the most, whatever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. That's what Jesus said. And we talked about that last week, searching our heart. This was the life application. Invite the Lord to search your heart. Because no one, Jesus said, can serve two masters. One you'll hate, you'll despise. The other you'll love and you'll be devoted to. 
And Jesus said, straightforwardly, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Many of our English Bibles use the word mammon. It's an Aramaic word. They just keep it untranslated. You can't serve God and mammon. Mammon has this connotation beyond just bills and change in your pocket, beyond just money. Mammon has the connotation of wealth, property, possessions, everything, all of our material belongings. And mammon and money, it's presented throughout Scripture as a master. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, one being mammon. And it's not a good master. It's not a, a, a beneficent master. No, it's a slave owner, a malevolent slave owner. This is the way the, the money is presented to us in Scripture. It'll own you. But Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he presents a contrast in God, that God is a loving father. He is a loving master, not like money, not like mammon, which can own you and rule over you. So Jesus said, which is it? Is it going to be God or money? Can't be both. And that's the rub. If you attempt to serve both, it, there's going to be trouble, conflict. There'll be issues. It can't be done. Mammon will consume you. Now Jesus moves on to expound on that. And that's where we are this morning. We're going to continue right after Jesus stated, you can't serve both God and money. The closing verses of Matthew chapter 6. These are verses 25 to 34. Now remember, Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. Verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It's not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can't serve both God and money. Now don't worry about it. Don't worry about your life. A few years back, I spoke on this passage. Don't worry about your life. Saying, 
this is a hard passage of scripture. Don't worry about your life. Yeah, we worry, we stress out, we get full of anxiety about life. Especially this last year, hey, who hasn't had something to worry about last year? I think if we're honest, we might have had a couple of things we worried about. But Jesus wasn't necessarily referring to health care or worrying about getting sick or getting hit in the head with an axe. You know, there's, a, there's a context here. There's a context. He, he's talking about worrying about food and drink and clothing, all these things that we think are going to make us feel secure. There's comfort in that. You know, these, these things that are going to bring us comfort and security. The context is the accumulation of this stuff. That's what led into this. That's what Jesus was talking about, storing up your, your stuff, your treasures, well beyond what you need, way beyond your needs, to the point where it becomes the master over you, the master over your heart, even puts that stuff above God. Why do we worry about life in the sense of eating and drinking and putting clothes on, on our back? Why? Why are we worried? Why would we be worried about material things? Having all the, the needs met that make, make us feel so comfortable and secure. That's the context here. This is what Jesus is talking about. And what about our needs? Jesus, wait, he, he didn't say, don't worry, be happy. He's not that guy. He, he didn't say, well, you can just be complacent and carefree and reckless and idle. Don't worry. He didn't say, don't make any plans. Forget about the future. Just be apathetic and lazy. Hey, God's got your back. That's not it at all. That's not what he's talking about. That's not the context. When it comes to what lies ahead, certainly we can plan. We can have foresight. Uh, that's biblical. Careful planning is definitely biblical. We know Joseph planned for the famine. We know Nehemiah planned before he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Jesus asked, before man builds a tower, doesn't he count up the cost? He makes plans. Jesus also presented the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. The wise virgins prepared with oil for their lamp. The foolish ones were unprepared and the bridegroom arrived and they weren't ready. So by saying don't worry about your life, Jesus was not criticizing planning or preparation. Let's get that. Let's make sure we understand that. Well, just what was he getting at? Well, he gave us some images. He gave some uh, examples for us to look at. And he said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. Look at the flowers of the field. They don't work at all. No work, no labor, they can't spin yarn, they can't weave fabric. The birds aren't the best of planters, they're not storing up for the wintertime. The flowers do no work, nothing at all. But what did Jesus say? The birds are fed. They're taken care of. The flowers are dressed. And they're dressed magnificently, Jesus said. He pointed that out better than King Solomon. Why? Because God cares for them. 
We are created in God's image and his likeness. Way more valuable, Jesus said. You're way more valuable than the flowers and the birds. If God cares for them, how much more does he care for you? You're created in his image and in his likeness. So don't worry. Don't fret about all these things of life. So let's talk a little bit about life application. The life app, don't worry. Well, first, why shouldn't we worry? And second, how can we be rid of it? How can we be rid of it? The general application, just very briefly, is we can work, we can plan, we can look forward, make goals, but not be consumed by it with all kinds of fear and apprehension about the things that we need to live our life and not be consumed with accumulating wealth and possessions. But let's talk specifically. First of all, why we shouldn't worry. Don't worry because God cares. And that is straightforward in this passage. Don't consume yourself with anxious thoughts about the cares of life, food, clothing, etc. It's not what's going to make you secure anyway. If God cares for the birds and the flowers and his creation, he cares so much more for you. So when we see these things, when you see the, the flowers, let it speak to you. Man, God cares for me way more. Let them be little reminders to you. And by the way, it's springtime. It's a great time to go out and look at some blooms. Check out the flowers and be reminded God cares for you way more. And when you see the birds, same thing. God cares for them, and he cares for us so much more. Birds are everywhere, and, and they're amazing, too. They're amazing. God's, God's created them with all kinds of uh, instinct so that they're cared for. How much more does he care for us? We, Julie and I, were, uh, we were on Lake Huron this fall. We had a chance to just be on the, the lake one beautiful afternoon and the geese were migrating. The Canadian geese were going south. And literally there, there had to be, there were hundreds, if not a couple thousand, out on the lake. And they were queuing up almost like they knew where this runway spot was on the lake. I don't get it, but God designed them. And hundreds would line up at a time. I counted a group of them, this flock of over 200. And, and there was just multiple groups and suddenly, one would start honking, and one would, they'd, they'd flap. They're like these huge 747s. It takes forever for them to get up out of the water, but they're flapping and making all kinds of noise, and they get up, and they, they, were, they were flying a little bit north, and they turned west inwardly to the land and then south. I'm like, man, God's sending them south where they know they're going to be taken care of. And we watched group after group make all this noise and racket, it's amazing. And, and I stood there and I said, yeah, Julie, I know where they're going. They're all going to Bethesda. Because yeah. I know God takes care of a lot of them right here on our property. They're well fed. They're taken care of. And so now I got to remind myself, when I come in and see those geese, 
And I'm like, I know what they're doing. God cares for me way more. He cares for you way more. They're out there mowing our lawn, getting fed. And he cares for us so much more. Let it be an example to us. God's creation, the flowers, the birds, everything. Because he cares for us so much more. We don't need to worry about being taken care of. And then Jesus gave a third illustration. And that's about people. He said the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows you need them. The pagans, it's a reference to the unbelievers, the world. Materialism is their God. They're owned by it. Their hearts are owned by this materialism. Their hearts are focused on desiring more and accumulating more. Seemingly that they could eliminate worry because they're worried about it. They got to pile it up. Worrying that you're not as secure as you could be. That's, that's a big pull on us as Christians. But Jesus said, your heavenly father knows your needs. He made this distinction between the pagan and the believer. Christians. And the distinction's relational. Pagans are running after stuff. It's, it's like they're on this treadmill called materialism. It's a treadmill that goes nowhere. They're running after it, wearing themselves out, and they get nothing in the end. Christians. Are we running to our heavenly father? At this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has mentioned heavenly father over a dozen times. I think it's the 14th time he's mentioning father, your heavenly father. Do you view God as your heavenly father? Do you receive Jesus as his one and only son who gave his life to redeem us from sin. And that we're his child. We're a child of God. And that's not offered to the flowers. That's not offered to the birds. They don't get this great offer of having such a relationship with the creator. This is an invitation. It's an invitation to all to be a child of God. And it's open to all who have been created in his image and his likeness. We got to come to it individually, each one, and enter into that, that relationship through Jesus Christ alone. And when we do, we, we don't need to worry. We don't need to worry. God cares. And we're his child. You are his child. Don't worry about your life, Jesus said. Yeah, he gave the, the, the illustration of the birds and the flowers, but also the pagans to emphasize God cares. As a father. It's this parent-child relationship. Jesus has mentioned it so many times. Do we get the point? Do we get it? This is what God desires. That we would be his child. That we would enter into this relationship with him. He loves us so much. Then Jesus closed his thoughts. By explaining how a child of God is further distinguished from the unbeliever, from the pagans. And it gives us a great way to set worry aside. Not just talk about why we worry, but be able to get rid of it, put it aside. Don't worry, Jesus said, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, you can be rid of worry 
by getting priorities straight, by putting God first. Get the priority right. Don't run after the, the things the pagans are running after, being on that uh, treadmill that's just wearing you out. Run after the kingdom and its righteousness. Make that first priority in your life. And what is this kingdom and righteousness? Well, it's not so much a what as it is a who. It's all about Jesus. Throughout the Gospels, the kingdom of God is associated with Jesus. John the Baptist was the herald for Jesus. And he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close. It's near. He's pointing to Jesus and he's saying the kingdom's near. The kingdom's close. When Jesus sent out 72 Go out into the cities. Go out there and, and, and spread the good news. And Jesus said, say, the kingdom has come near you. Preach, the kingdom has come near you. He said, heal people. Heal them. And say, the kingdom of God has come near you. He said, even if they don't receive you, if you are rejected, shake the dust off. Leave the city, shake the dust off. But be well assured, the kingdom of God has come near. So in, in all of it, it's about Jesus, this nearness of the kingdom, this closeness to the kingdom. It's Jesus. They were preaching the king of the kingdom. They were preaching Jesus. They were healing in the name of Jesus, the king. They were rejected, not because the people didn't like them. They were rejected because of Jesus, the king. The king of the kingdom of heaven. He's the king of a kingdom, not of this world. Jesus said, though, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. He's the king of kings. He's the king of the kingdom. And we can never learn enough about him. We can, we can never know enough about Jesus. The last line of the gospel of John expresses that. We'll never, ever be able to, to attain knowledge to the full about Jesus. You know, John wrote, in all these things about Jesus, if they were written in detail, I, I expect that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. So we can always seek more. We can always seek more of this kingdom and its king. We can always seek more of Jesus and know more of Jesus and learn more of Jesus. And his righteousness. Remember in the early part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter what? The kingdom. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus at that time was talking about the law and the Pharisees and their approach to the law, and that kept them out of the kingdom. And we considered what Jesus said. And this was the life app we called Live Righteous. It was number four, so it was a while ago. But we concluded in in that passage that you cannot seek righteousness without being a keeper of the law. Our righteousness, though it's found in Jesus alone, Jesus saved us from the law because he's perfectly righteous and he's our means to stand righteous before God Almighty. We have him, perfection, to stand in front of us. Sinlessly perfect. He's our righteousness and he saved us. He he saved us because he is perfectly righteous. But because he saved us and he is our righteousness, we said we seek then to keep the law, to keep his law. He's our righteousness. He's our motivation to righteousness. Seek more Jesus. Seek more his righteousness. Let let the things of God be what motivates you, eternal things. The, The big object of this life is not to store up stuff here on earth. The great object of this life is storing up treasures in the life that follows. The object of this life is what's to come. Jesus said, seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek Christ Jesus and more of him. Because as a child of God, we are immortal. Life on this earth, it's not an appendix. It's not the end. No, life on this earth is the preface. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of eternal life. So don't worry. Seek Jesus. And all the things that, that the pagans that are, they're striving for, they're on the treadmill running after them, he said, it's going to be added to you anyway. Taken care of. Just get your priority right. Seek him. Now, let's look at this just another way. Jesus once said this. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 and 29. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, the treadmill of life has a burden. It's a burden. Striving for material security, thinking, you know, you can store stuff up. Do you know that there are, there are advertisements I hear on the radio, see them on television? You can store up seven years of food in buckets. Who's out there buying seven years of bucket food? I'm not. Seriously, God's going to take care of us. This is this apocalyptic thinking and... store up seven years of dried, you can add water, it'll taste wonderful, they say. Forget about that. I, I get it. You know, we can plan, but that's, that's I say it's, there's, there is a, a fear factor involved a little bit in that. Let's not do that. The treadmill of life is a burden. It's a wearisome. Striving for this material, uh, it's going to fail anyway. The things of this world fail. 
But Jesus made this invitation. He said, come to me and you'll find rest. And that rest eliminates worry, eliminates fear. When you rest in Jesus, seek Jesus, you'll find rest for your soul. Well, what better security is that? That's eternal security. Seek him first. And what becomes of that worry in the here and now? It dissipates. It dissipates when you put your life in his hands and you rest. Well, what's the opposite of worry and fear? It's, it's just rest in him. And when we do, that worry dissipates. I've, I've told you this before about when Julie and I came to just commit to tithing. We were in our 20s, but we made the commitment. We're going to do this. And she, at that time, took care of our checkbook, always balanced it to the penny. And then one day I got the checkbook and I said, why isn't there any balance in here? She's like, oh, God's got it. And it wasn't carelessness. It wasn't recklessness. It was full-out trust. She's like, That's, we're good. We're good. Worry dissipates when you rest in Jesus Christ. And the opposite of worry, it isn't just carefree carelessness. No, it's, it's trust. It's absolute trust. Trust Jesus. Rest in him. And when he's first, when you seek him for direction and for guidance and for protection, when you ask him in prayer for wisdom and deliverance, it means you trust him with your life, with everything, with everything. You know, and then that fear doesn't stand a chance. It means your security, your, your wealth, all of it. You can trust. He will take care of it. In the meanwhile, the pagans are running after it. The security is Jesus Christ. He is our rest. He is our Sabbath. And that doesn't mean just one day a week. We don't just rest in Jesus one day a week. No, this, this idea of Sabbath, it's a life. It's everything. And I, I encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 4 sometime this week. Even the last part of 3 and chapter 4, it's all about this Sabbath. The disobedient and the unbelieving Israelites, they didn't enter the rest. They couldn't go to the promised land. But we who believe on Jesus Christ and trust him with our lives, we enter that rest. We gain eternal life. Now remember that image that I gave you at the beginning. Remember that image of the man collecting wood who lost his life. Collecting wood on the Sabbath day. He didn't trust God with his security. He couldn't rest from trying to gain his own security. And he lost his life. He lost his life because he couldn't trust. He couldn't rest in his God, not even for 24 hours. He lost his life. And let me tell you, that still holds. That still holds. You might be shocked. You might be saying, what are you talking about? That was a capital crime. Man lost his life. 
well, without trust in Jesus Christ entirely, completely, with your whole life, without resting in him completely, you're outside the kingdom. You're, you're outside the light. You're in darkness. Remember last week, Jesus presented light and darkness along with this idea of where your heart is. You're outside the kingdom when, you, when, when you're trying to do it on your own. And the words of Jesus, more than once, were that's the place where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's death. You're either a child of God or you're not. You're on that treadmill. You're either a citizen of the kingdom or you're a citizen of the world. You're either worrying about security and running after it all or you're resting, you're trusting. You've put your entire life into the hands of your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ, resting in him. So I ask, where are you? Where are you this morning? Before we close, I want you to consider that question. Where are you at? Have you never, ever turned your life over completely to Jesus? Are you still grasping at things, chasing after things, saying, oh, yeah, that's going to make me secure. I'll take it. Yes, then I'll be fine. Then, I'll, then I can go to Jesus because I got, I got this over here and, and I'll be secure. Or have you given it to him? Everything. If you've never given your life to him, he wants that. He wants that so that you could be called a child of God. Have that parent-child relationship. Trust totally in him. He takes care of the geese and the birds and the flowers. He'll take care of you. He will. He will. And not just now, but forever and ever. Eternal life. No weeping, no gnashing of teeth in heaven the word of God says there are no tears so there's no weeping there this is the picture Jesus makes he, he gives us these images of in and out of the kingdom and who wants to be weeping so consider it if, it's never, if, if it wasn't you and if, and if you have said Jesus is my Lord and Savior you've called on him I understand that sometimes life can pull and can cause us to get into that mode of, you know, we jump back on the treadmill for a little bit. We jump back, we, oh, yeah, I'll just get that. I'll go after it. I know that can happen. And maybe there, there, you just need to, you, you need to set a couple things aside. You need to say, you know, Lord, I've, I, I know I've got all these areas of my life given over to you, but there's this one spot. God's patient and he works with us and we don't change instantly when we come to him. You need to work on it. Admit it to him today. Say, God, help me with that. Help me with that so I don't have these fears and worries. Let, let's stand and pray as, as we go. And, and I just want to invite anyone here. We, we've got a lot of room up front. If you need to come and pray about it, you need to come, even if you've never ever said, Jesus, I'm, I want to give you my entire life. If you're willing and you want to say, I'm, I'll, I'll do that this morning, and make it public, that's a great thing. 
No, you come into the kingdom. It's an awesome thing. We'd love to celebrate it with you and pray with you. So I just want to say these altars are they're open if you want to come and kneel and pray or take care of anything in your life. It's, it, it's doable now. The book of Hebrews, in that chapter I said to read, chapter 4, it says, let's make every effort to enter that rest, the rest in Jesus Christ, so that no one will fail by following the pagans. Let's not fail. Let's not fail. It goes on. The next word is, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intent of the heart. that, That line comes after this discussion about giving Jesus your life to rest in. Think about it. Think about it. God drawn you to just say, now, Lord, are you, are you telling me in my heart that I need that? Let's pray. And again, if, you, if you'd like to come down here and kneel and pray, you're invited to do that. If you need anything, if there's anything, one little sliver where you're just like, eh, I know I'm still chasing it. Give it up today. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you that you desire to be our Father. Oh, Jesus, who gave his life for us, said over and over and over, your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, we can be children of the Most High God, our Creator. But Lord, we've got to will it and give our heart to you. And God, if there's anyone here in this room or, or uh, within my listening voice who's not ever just yielded that completely their their heart to say I'll I'll rest my life in Christ alone I'll trust him to take care of my needs and my wants and my desires Lord I, I, I just ask that you would meet that person that if they're sincerely turning to you God you would receive them thank you thank you thank you and Lord for us who've called you Lord and Savior, be it for a day, a, a month, for years, decades. God, if, we're, if there's anything that, that has been that pull, the pull of the world drawing at us, nagging us, even gotten us back on that place where we're running after it. God, I pray that we could just knock it down and give it to you. Say you'll take care of us. Lord, help us to see the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. You're reminded how much more valuable we are who've been created in your image and likeness, who are your children, and you'll care for us, and we can be worry-free. God, I pray that peace upon every single person here. Grant them that, Lord. Grant them that. May they leave with it. May they leave on a high note knowing, God, you, you are taking care of us, and our lives are in your hands. Thank you for that grace, Lord. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who gave his life. Bless all now. Bless, Lord, bless. As we go, in Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Amen.